walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay, so yeah. Hey, praying for Philip Mallow as well. Walk in a manner worthy, worthy of the Lord, pleasing him. So next, bearing fruit in every good work. Alright, so number three. Bearing fruit. And then we'll put any good work. Okay. I told you this is a big verse, it's a lot. And then an increase in the knowledge of God. Alright, so we wanted to be filled with knowledge, walk in a manner worthy, bearing fruit in good work. And so then the next one says increasing in the knowledge of God. So we're just going to put increase knowledge of God. Sorry, my name is. Alright. And then it says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience. Alright, so we're going to combine. We're going to put patient and endurance together. And then to do that, we're strengthened in his power. Put his power. Alright. And with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who's qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in life. So okay, we broke this verse down right here, and it's all these things with joy. So with joy and thankfulness. Alright, this looks like a good list, right? We broke down the verse, we can start looking at what, what does this mean, right? Like so much of my life was looking at a verse like this and breaking it down and saying, okay, I need to be filled with knowledge. But what happens when I don't know God's will? Or I've been like praying and reading and I've been trying to figure it out and I don't get that answer. Or you look back and you're like, well, God, like, why did this have to happen? That seems contradictory to just being filled with knowledge. Like, I can't get that. I don't know what that means. Or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Have you felt like you've been trying really hard to present yourself worthy? Like, God, like, I can just take care of this, like, and, or you try to do everything that's right. Like, this was, like, my lifestyle growing up. Like, I grew up in a Christian school, and great opportunities. I loved it. I had amazing people around me. But it was great for my personality, because it's a lot of rules, or it seems that way. So I like rules. I like being confined in rules. I like to know what's expected of me. I like to know what I can do to be better. I like to make sure that I'm trying to be the best. And so these lists make it really nice for me because I can check that one off the box. I can check that. I'm going to present myself in a manner worthy of the Lord. So much so, to the extreme, that my husband kind of laughs at me for this, but he asked me once, what's the most rebellious thing you've ever done? To which my reply was, I wore a strapless dress to senior prom. <laughs> that was what I grew up in. Did not have straps on my dress. Um, but that is my mentality. But even doing that did not bring joy. Doing things right was not always fun. I felt like I was owed something because I'm doing what is right. <laughs> or bearing fruit, like what does that mean in good works? Right? Like I you know, you think about the fruit of the spirit. I'm not always patient, I'm not always kind, I'm not always loving. Or you compare yourself, like I'm serving, I'm doing all of these things, I'm producing good fruit. So there's two extremes there. Increasing the knowledge of God, we kind of talked about this being filled with the knowledge of His will, but have you felt like I'm seeking this answer and I've been doing the motions and I've been praying 
So what are we missing? Like why in the midst of trials or in the midst of waiting or in the midst of struggles and all of these things that we experience here on earth, isn't there always joy or thankfulness? So what, what are we missing? Well, this list is kind of interesting because I was able to have a conversation with some friends um, in North Carolina and we were talking about God's will and we were talking about like his plans for our lives. And it was really great because my friends are Hindu. And so we talked about some of these very same facts. And what's interesting is they would look at this list and they say, yeah, that's what life is about. But it might be in different terms. So instead of joy, my friend Kunal would say it's bliss. Right? And instead of being filled with the knowledge of his will, that would be like your duty to knowledge. Right? And the goals of like walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, they would say, you have to live the right way. Right? They sound really similar. They're a very similar concept. And instead of prosperity or work, that would be like bearing fruit. And liberation and salvation, we kind of talk about it's coming through this path of knowledge and this path of devotion and this path of duties. Well, we do that. But what's different? For them, bliss is something that you can achieve eventually. We're supposed to do all of these with joy. Or Islam, very similar teachings. Except for at the end, it's judgment day is based on your works. Well, I like works. Like, I want to check these boxes off. Why Christianity? Like, why Jesus? Why put ourselves through this when there are so many things that we can just reach for that are immediately more joyful in the moment? Or why try to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Like, what are we missing? Well, let's read it again. Let's see if we can pick up on anything else. So in Colossians 1 9, it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work with increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Okay, so I missed that one on the first time qualified. Okay. Qualified in inheritance. We're going to read the next verse. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, we read it again. Anyone get anything new? It's still a lot. So, except for we had to qualify. So does that mean I was disqualified? So what we're going to do is we're going to step back because we've been focusing on this scripture, scripture and it's like right in the middle. And so as I was preparing for today, I kept thinking about the last two years, about what I talked about. And if you were here if over those last two years, I had no way expect you to remember what I talked about. But I'm going to get you caught back up. So last year we looked at Eve, right? Because we're going to talk about being disqualified for a second. We talked about Eve and we saw what sin does in our hearts. We looked at how Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were created in perfection. They like had communion with God. Like, they walked with God. He is a person. He was with them, and they were pure and blameless, and there was no shame. Right? But in sin, their response was to hide. And they hid from God. They hid from each other. They tried covering themselves. They felt shame. And that's things that we all feel, but we weren't supposed to. We weren't made for that purpose. But now, because we created this problem... When we try to fix it, 
but we can't. We're disqualified from being with God because we are no longer holy and blameless on our own. Right? Don't we reach for things? Just like Eve, we're not any different. We reach for the fruit. It just may look a little bit different. We reach for things that are going to try to fill this thing inside of us that God only was supposed to fill from the very beginning. But God, because he is so holy, and he is so righteous, and he is so beautiful and worthy and loves us, there's this problem. We're disqualified because all, even though he loves us, we've sinned, but he is so righteous that he can't just condone sin. It's hard to wrap our mind around that, right? Because he's God loving and forgiving, but he's also righteous and he's just and he's pure. And so what does he do? Instead of, out of anger and discipline, just casting Adam and Eve out, no, what does he do? He creates a plan to reconcile us back to him. He wants us to be in communion with him. He wants us in the garden. He wants us walking with him. And what does he do? He promises a savior. And throughout the book of Genesis, he preserves his creation, right? We think sin is bad now. It was so bad that he wiped out the entire earth with a flood and kept one righteous person. And we think it's going to get better, but what happens as soon as he's outside of that boat? The most righteous man out of the entire world, he saves, and what happens? We fall again. And it just cycles back down. But God chooses man, Abraham, to just pour blessing onto it. He says, I'm going to make you guys a nation, and I'm going, the Savior is going to come through this line. And so then two years ago, we talked about the Israelites, God's people, and that's in the book of Exodus. Abraham, he has this family, did not think he would. He's faithful, God blesses him, and we just see this growth of the nation, the Israelites. But what happens is they become enslaved by the Egyptians. They did nothing wrong, but they became enslaved. And it tells us in Exodus that God hears the cries of those who are crying out to him, the cries of the oppressed, those who were enslaved. And what does he do? He frees them. He has the ten plagues. You might have heard those stories. And the very last one, the blood of the lamb is on the door, and those who put that over the door, he passes over, and they're saved. And then they walk out of Egypt in complete freedom. But two years ago, we looked at that story because as soon as they get outside of Egypt, the Israelites, free from Pharaoh and bondage, they get into the wilderness, and God says, okay, I want you to wait here because I want, I want the Egyptians, I want them to come back after you. And they're all freaking out, right? Because they're like, they're going to enslave us again. But he says, no, because my glory is not yet complete. And we talked about how we had freedom, but what was not yet accomplished was the victory. And so what happens is the Egyptians come after the Israelites, and God said, my glory has to be complete. Because this freedom was not enough. There is a victory over death. And what happens? The Egyptians died. And they have victory. And you would think it would be good now. Like, you see this miraculous thing, and you're like, okay, we have this. They just saw this amazing miracle. Well, what happens? Sin again. And there's this cycle. So if you look in the Old Testament, it's just this cycle of the Israelites following God. And then what happens? They try to do things on their own. We try it works. We try to know him. We try to walk in a manner worthy. We try to bear fruit. We try to increase our knowledge of God. But we fail. And the Israelites... Fail, they might be oppressed again, but what, what do we see? We see a patient, loving God who, when they cry out to him, he rescues them again. Yeah. And throughout this entire story, the ups and the downs, the sin, God rescuing them, there's this one story that shines through it. 
And it's hard to see it. But we see a people who believe and love God, and there's a line of descendants. Remember Eve? He said, I'm going to have it. There's going to be a Savior. Out of the, your descendants, out of man, there's going to be one who is able to conquer that separation from the beginning. And so, we celebrate it, right? The birth of Jesus. See, all of this Old Testament points to the one who's going to come and who's going to give us that freedom. And it was Jesus. Like it was God coming down in the form of man in all humility just so that we could be with him. Like, yes, he takes our sin and our shame, but what's more is all of this, all that we do, all that we neglect from him, he says, I just want to be with you. Do you want me? And he goes to the cross in his perfection. He did what no one could ever do before him. He's nailed to the cross, and he was perfect. Right? We know sin brings death. It separates us. And God is holy, and he is righteous. And there was a cost. And he puts it on himself. He takes all the wrath and puts it on himself so that we can just be with him. And when Jesus is resurrected, he's made known to his people. And so we celebrate that, right? We're like, okay, I've heard that before. Jesus died for my sins. He rose. He conquered death. But this, the Bible tells me to do these things. So why is this not any different? You might have said, I've heard this story time and time again, and I've been trying, but once again, this doesn't look any different from any religion. So what's different? Before we move on, there is so much power that Jesus came and died on the cross. And so before we move on and go to the end here, I just want you to know it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Jesus loves you, and this is for you. His freedom is for you, but remember there's also victory. And it doesn't matter what you try to do now or in the future. If you believe in him, the price has already been paid. Jesus loves you, and he wants you to believe in him. More than anything else in the world, he just wants you to know that he's here, he loves you. Can you accept that? Could you stop all of your works, all of the trying, and just say, I, that's all? We're going to read this passage again. And we're going to see if there's anything different. We're going to add some more scripture. Because we can't take things out of context. I don't know if you've ever tried to take a verse and find encouragement from it, but sometimes it gets so watered down that it falls flat. Like this idea of patient endurance, you're like, I don't want to hear anything about patient endurance. I have been waiting, I have been trying, and these verses, if I can do all things, fall flat. Because they're not joy, because they're not taken into the context. So let's break this down again. Colossians 1.9 And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is not a knowledge of what to do. It's not how to be moral or be a better person. It's not about getting knowledge of knowing what to do and what decision I need to make. What is it? In Ephesians 1.3, the same writer of Colossians is, a, is Paul in Ephesians, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. 
places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for all the fullness of time to unite all things in him. And this knowledge, this understanding, takes us back to the foundation of it all. It's not accruing knowledge to be better. It's knowledge that we cannot create. It is a spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's that he made himself known. That we can set aside our own thoughts and minds and humble ourselves before God and have eyes that see that it is not my own knowledge and understanding that's going to get me there. There is never enough earthly knowledge and earthly wisdom that is going to sustain us. There are not enough self-help books. There are not enough ways and other ideas that if you do this, then it's going to be enough. If you do this, there's never going to be enough. There's always going to be another trend. There's always going to be another word for it. He's saying, no, it's the gospel. The knowledge of my will was the mystery that was made known through Christ. That Jesus, a person, gave up everything, came down to earth as a man, and revealed himself to us to know him. Like a friend. Like he is a person that you can talk to. And he came back, and he was resurrected, and the whole New Testament is people who talked to him and knew him. It's the gospel, that we would be reconciled to him. That's the mystery of his will. He is. And he reveals it to us. Walk in a man worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1.10. Actually, I want to say something about the knowledge of his will. He makes his mystery known to us at this point. Like, do you know that he is jealous for you? In the Old Testament, it says that he loves you so much and he wants all of you so much that there is like this righteous jealousy that he has for you. He loves you. And out of that, we go to verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. What if instead of this meeting, I have to make myself to get worthy? We look at what is worthy to the Lord. What pleases him? Remember, we read Ephesians 1.3. We're going to read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing in the heavenly places, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is not what we do. It's not how I walk. It's not how I present myself. It's who you become. We become new. So walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is me becoming an entirely new person because of Jesus. Nothing I can do, I will never be able to walk by myself in a way that is going to be worthy. It becomes your identity. You are worthy because of his righteousness so that you can be presented to him again. And it changes things. When all of that pressure is off of me, what does that do? It should bring us to awe and wonder. And what if bearing fruit isn't me serving and trying to do all of these things that I can try to produce, but they're going to fall short? What if bearing fruit becomes the ways that love can look when the intimacy that you have with your father overflows into your actions? All overflowing through a relationship with Jesus. None of these are things that we can do. 
and it is the overflow of you in us that is going to produce fruit. Like you are all like this is good news, right? Like every other religion is saying you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do this. No, it's saying it has been done for you. Increasing the knowledge of God. It's knowing God. It's not knowing about God. See, if we keep trying to go back to this checklist, you get to the knowledge of God, and what happens in your heart is you start thinking that you've earned it. And it starts being, I want the things of God. I don't want God. I want the blessing. I want that prosperity. I want that verse that says, I know I've got plans I have for you to praise the Lord, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope. Why am I doing this? And I'm not feeling prosperous. I want to prosper. You say, no. I want, he wants you to know him. It's not knowing about him. It's knowing him because he is a person. It's a different perspective. That all we can ask is, God, give us the eyes to see this and the hearts that want it. To free us from the bondage of ourselves of trying to work for something that we can't attain. And patient endurance. We go to the one who did patient in Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that was us being with him. We were the joy that was set before him, that he could reconcile us back to him so that we could be in relationship with him. And for the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And because of this, we become qualified through him. And all of that, if none of this produces joy, one, I don't know what will, but two, I don't have the answers. I just know Jesus. And he's just saying, do you want to know me too? Okay. You might think, okay. We went to the beginning. We looked at what was disqualifying me. We looked for the solution. But what happened? Let's go back to the Israelites, right? He gives them freedom from the Egyptians, well, what of this victory? Right? We stepped back from this passage of scripture, we've been looking at this story of the Bible, we went to Genesis, we looked at sin, we looked at how we're disqualified, that we're never going to be able to fix that gap. And then we looked at what Jesus did. That shows his love. Well, let's go to the end. Because sometimes I think we forget about the end. We think it's all done at the cross. And yes, our freedom is not on the cross. He died in humility, but in Revelation we are told that he's going to come back down in power and victory. He, victory over Satan. And in his victory, it tells us that there will be a wedding. It's in Revelation chapter 19. After Jesus is victorious, that there's a wedding. What is more intimate and relational than a wedding? And who is Jesus' wedding? Us. The church. It says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, this is in Revelation, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's us. That we become ready in his righteousness, and we are presented to him pure and spotless. And it says in, 20, in Revelation 21, John is saying, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be, with, be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed.
passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give you, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The whole point, from beginning to end, to end is to see that he was the beginning, he is the end. And yes, we rejoice in the freedom that happened on the cross because we wouldn't have victory in the end if it wasn't for that. But remember, as we try to patiently endure, it is his power and it is his strength that is going to carry us through this. Like this list, this list is horrible. Like I hope as you just look at this by itself, you're like, that does nothing for me. But do you thirst for him? Do you want him? And that's what today is about. We get to be in a room with a bunch of women who love Jesus. And that's our prayer that as you leave today, it's not going into a new year trying to get this list right. It's a lifelong thing. It's can my heart be changed for an eternal perspective? Something that will sustain so that when you're trying to patiently endure, you can look not just to the cross, but you can look to the victory that is going to be had that he promises for you. Like, do you want that relationship? Do you want that wedding day with our Savior? And he says, I did this all for you. He didn't have to. But he does it because he loves us. And he is righteous. And he is holy. And he is beautiful. And all of this, if we thirst and if we want him, he gives it to us freely. He gave the price. And the response should only be, Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. And we just worship him. That's what it's about. And so as we go into breakout sessions, I just pray that our eyes will continue to be open to what he has for us, that he reveals himself to you in a very personal way. And that when we leave here today, we can just leave in worship, no matter what's going on in our lives. Because he's worth it. He's worth the good things. And he wants all of the bad things that we have that we will want to. He's worthy to take it. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to go into a little small group and get to meet.